When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bacon. I'm Jenna Million, and this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. And before we get into things today, we do have a new Patreon member to shout out. So Lisa, thank you so much for joining us over on our Patreon community. We're so happy to have you. And don't forget to go join us over on our Discord of Friendship. Get to know the other members of our Patreon community. Everybody over there is so awesome. And if you are new to our podcast or you've just been missing us in your feed now that we've gone to buy weekly episodes you can get bonus content over on our patreon including monthly music meltdown episodes as well as mini episodes whenever there's music news that we feel like we really need to chat about and you can get all of that over at patreon.com slash name three songs so today we have a very long a very informative and a very fun episode so sarah can you tell everyone just exactly what we're getting into today Yeah, today's episode is, like Jenna said, very informative and very fun and interesting. And I think it kind of like even went into realms that I wasn't expecting from like the initial idea that we had, which was that we obviously love pop music. So we've been trying to figure out a way to talk about girl groups, meaning the like girl groups of the 90s, early 2000s. But there's not a lot of articles out there about why America was like, LOL, not really interested in this. So we had to figure out another angle. And we have a journalist who is our guest today, who we're both very big fans of her writing, who specializes in K-pop. And we're like, oh my God, maybe... Maybe we can do something comparing like why K-pop girl groups are wildly successful in Korea, but like aren't really translating as much in the Western market. See what they're trying to do to make them explode over here and how that's not working and where it is working. And so we kind of accumulated a very interesting, very like retrospective kind of episode here going over America turning their back on girl power that the Spice Girls created and being really obsessed with like individualism and girls being against girls and how any girl groups that kind of happened that were created in America, like all their music didn't exist specifically for girl groups. Like there was literally no reason for them other than like the assumption that people might be interested in groups of women, but like Mm -hmm. they weren't giving us any reason to be interested in them as a group of friends or comrades or anything along those lines. Whereas K-pop seems to have figured out how to do that, where you feel like you could be their friend and you also kind of want to be them and you want to hang out with them and all these things. Whereas like, most American girl groups, it was kind of just like they were out of reach from the listeners. And that's not what you want when you see a group of girls. You want to feel like you could be the fifth or sixth member or what have you of that group. So we're learning all about this. We're 
unpacking a lot of misogyny and movie tropes that seep into real life. And it's just, it's a hefty bag that we are unpacking today. And it's a very exciting episode. And so with that being said, Jenna, would you like to introduce everybody to our very lovely, very smart, very informed, very helpful guest today. Yes. So today we are joined by Tamar Herman, who is currently a senior culture reporter at Hong Kong newspaper, the South China Morning Post. She's been covering K-pop and K-pop related content for outlets such as Billboard, Forbes, and NBC News over the years. And she released her first book entitled BTS, Blood, Sweat, and Tears in August 2020. And you can also find her in the K-pop episode of Vox's Explained on Netflix and the YouTube series K-pop Evolution. So of course, we could not have a more perfect guest for this episode. And with that being said, hi Tamar, welcome to Name Three Songs. We're so excited to have you here for this chat today. Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be a really fun conversation today because we get to talk about girl groups and why America hates them, no matter how hard people are trying to have girl groups break America, which is like, it's just going to be a very in-depth, interesting conversation onto this topic because I'm sure from like past episodes and like things that we've talked about just like with you guys are lovely listeners you guys are aware how I grew up with girl groups and that was everything I cared about and because of that I've been really interested in the fact that k-pop girl groups exist but the excitement around them at least again from my perspective as somebody who's not deep in the trenches of k-pop doesn't seem as big as like the boy band excitement in the K-pop realm. And so it harkens back to the fact that the Spice Girls were really popular in America for like the two and a half years that the Spice Girls existed. And then America tried to kind of copy that fame with a bunch of other girl groups that didn't really fit within that girl power idea that the Spice Girls were, you know, selling because America just didn't understand it. And it's a really interesting thing to think about and look at because there was like a boom of girl groups. A lot of them were very like Disney Channel-esque girl groups. You had Dream and No Secrets and 3LW and obviously Destiny's Child and TLC. But the R&B girl groups are like a whole other realm of music that I think kind of like existed in a different platform. Like their music was good. I feel like that also like kind of was like more of a correlation to like Motown's history rather than yeah. Spice Girl. like the girl group idea. It obviously has like correlation, but like TLC, 3LW, Destiny's Child, those were all like they had way more of a built in audience just by like being like yeah. part of hip hop, R&B, while also yeah. leaning into pop. But like I feel like Spice Girls and Destiny's Child like are two different huge conversations. Yeah, yeah 100%. Which is why we're going to be focusing more on these confused white girl girl, girl groups that were <laughs> happening in America because, again, like I was saying, like most of their songs didn't necessarily have to be sung by a girl group. Like the fact that they were a girl group didn't really have anything to do with anything like they were just a group of girls thrown into a recording studio singing a song it didn't ever feel like there was camaraderie or friendship or anything like that but it also felt like they weren't ever a group that you as a fan could like 
maneuver yourself into being a part of or being able to hang out with them because none of them had discernible personalities like the Spice Girls did or that sort of thing and something that I've learned from doing research for this episode and Jenna's help is that the K-pop girl groups kind of have that similar thing where they all kind of have their personality and they have something going for them and it's going to be really interesting when we get more into the K-pop side of things to learn about like how they've started catering towards the girl power aesthetic a bit a bit more because it wasn't initially what the plan was from what I'm told but we are starting <laughs> with <laughs> the American idea and how also like England was really obsessed with girl groups and still are and a lot of those girl groups have been having reunions and like resurgences and all that sort of thing and even up till now with like the juxtaposition between Fifth Harmony and Little Mix and how Little Mix very much went with the girl power route their songs very much had to be sung by a girl group were very much friendship above all else even when they were love songs whereas fifth harmony any pop girly could have sang a fifth harmony song and it wouldn't have mattered if it was five people or one person singing that song but so my question for everyone is what has been your relationship throughout your life with girl groups because for me there's still songs that I throw on I know they're not going to be that great but like I still listen to play and jump five and s club seven who are mixed gender groups but I still love it still on my pool playlist for the summertime (laughs) so Tamar what has your relationship been like with this kind of music so we get to hear the sad stop story about how I wasn't allowed to listen to like pop music growing up until like I rebelled at the age of 12 and it was like I need to listen to the radio that's really weird mom I'm not even from a I'm from a religion a modern orthodox jewish background but like that isn't my friends listen to music my mom was just weird like it was i don't know and i was like such a goody two-shoes but of course i like knew most of the groups you're talking about either because like i heard them in life and also because like friends listened to them and when i was at friends we listened to them i very distinctly remember listening to the spice girls the first time at like gymnastic summer camp when we did routines to them and like it's funny because like as I've grown up I've like I know that I have weird gaps in my pop culture like knowledge. Radio Disney was everything like I remember like they had so many girl groups so like it's like Spice Girls and then like random group and of course you had again like we said like Desi Child, 3LW, TLC those were all like kind of a different promotional cycle like they weren't on the same era in my mind but they all were obviously part of the same thing but I think it's just like promotions and marketing and so I really only became a huge 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 girl group fan when I became a k-pop fan when I was like in high school but one thing that because we are talking particularly about my area of expertise k-pop actually a lot of early k-pop girl groups were kind of supposed to be sort of empowering one of the big first ones SES was a trio kind of in the line of like 3LW, TLC, Destiny's Child, but not really because like k-pop groups in general are kind of similarly in the line of Japanese idol groups which traditionally girl groups are targeting male audiences so even though there was like a little bit of a shift it's just different. My first CD when I was probably like five or six was like Britney Spears like debut album and that was like you know as we've talked about Britney so much it was like is Britney for the kids? (laughs) Should kids be having this CD? Don't know. I think my parents were a little bit questioning but like I totally miss the Spice Girls era and then Destiny Child wasn't even on my radar and so it wasn't until like Cheetah Girls like High School Musical like Camp Rock 
guys were talking about, like that would have been more my time in my generation. And then like Little Mix, because like I loved One Direction, like from the get go, basically since they had one X Factor. So then when Little Mix came around, I was aware of them, but I was never like super into them. I think like I had a few of their songs like on my playlist and whatnot. And then also just Little Mix never really came to America that much. They just like didn't market themselves very hard Mm -hmm. in America. And so it wasn't accessible. Like for me, my perspective is that it wasn't accessible. It was something you had to like seek out if you wanted to be a Little Mix fan as an American. And then with Fifth Harmony, I don't remember what year it was they came about, but I think I was into my like bandom era at that point of like 1975 and like more like rock bands that like I didn't care. I didn't have like Fifth Harmony is not for me. Like they were also formed on like American X Factor. So I'm like, this isn't even applicable to me. And so then again, like with me getting into K-pop more recently in the past year or so, I feel like I've all, as we go through this conversation, we'll see, like, I feel like I've also kind of had those prejudices of America doesn't like girl groups. I don't like girl groups. Therefore in K-pop, it's taken me longer to like get into girl groups and like become to like them. Yeah. No. (laughs) It's interesting that you say that though, because it's kind of, again, that thing where I feel like America really leaned into the I'm not like other girls trope in real life, which again is similar to other episodes we've done of talking about pop culture tropes that have leaked into the real world and like really genuinely affected women and teen girls specifically because it's like we've talked again something we've talked about where it's like in the 2010s sort of era you had Katy Perry Kesha Lady Gaga and they were all like very camp but like very different and they were all for like a different type of girly sort of thing and like I was saying before like the girl groups that were existing when we were younger especially the ones being made in America like they weren't really promoting that much of the girl power situation like the closest I could think of is no secrets promoting friendship to some degree because they had the cover I think of kids in America they had like one other song that I can't remember that was like very like a friendship but also if you listen to their other songs on their cd all of the songs are just about like them chasing boys around so most girl groups were just kind of like chasing boys that's what girls do, you know? Oh, that's literally the name of the No Secret song. That's what girls do. But again, this is something that I think we kind of touched on a little bit when we talked about boy bands with Maria Sherman was that boy bands were specifically made for girls and then girl groups in America were also specifically made for girls because America is a capitalist empire that does everything just to make money and young girls are where all of the money is. And so like these girl groups were specifically just marketed to I think they thought it was going to be teen girls and then it wound up being children being obsessed with them but it was just this really interesting thing of everything felt very much like you couldn't really be part of that girl group no matter how hard you tried they were people you kind of aspired to be like but could probably never hang out with because they also were just like all so pretty like I'm just remembering like play and like dream and like those sort of groups where they all just were like had such nice skin and such nice outfits and they could all dance really well and all those sorts of things and like the dynamic and like relationship between them was very like you didn't know who they were like if they weren't trying to sell you 
them. They were just trying to sell you music, which I think is interesting, especially compared to the Spice Girls. I, I mean, I agree with you entirely, but one group that I keep on thinking of as we're talking is the Pussycat Dolls, because they were like right after kind of like the girl group era, just like nobody cared about most of the girl groups. Like, again, like you said, like it ended up being like kids and it didn't really make it into like the zeitgeist, like a lot of those groups like it didn't go from radio disney to z100 like it just didn't yeah, like yeah. it didn't go from tweens and kids to people listening to but then you have pussycat dolls which was way more yeah i think everyone knows buttons and a lot of their early stuff and like even though they imploded they were more sexy and they were like yeah. a different sort of audience seeking and like you could argue that it was guys but it also was probably a lot of women who are just like oh cool someone's sexy on stage and doing burlesque and dancing and like yeah. but i don't think anyone really knows how to market any girl groups in the u.s uh, like even now like i love fifth harmony as like an idea but some of their songs you just listen to and you're like does this need to be a girl group yeah like you said like i don't know like work from home is a fun song but what does that have to do with the idea of what a girl group can or should be yeah and i don't know if anybody knows what that is like i don't think any even fans really know what they want a girl group to be in the u.s yeah i completely agree and i think that was sarah's point earlier too is it's like they're giving songs that like don't need to be by girl groups but girl groups kind of need to have a purpose and like the spice girls hit on that so well because it was about girl power it was about their friendship it was about them being individual people and they each had that personnel and just like they each had the posh spies baby spies like they all had their nicknames and that's why i think Mm -hmm. it was so easily digestible and i think why these other groups like play and dream didn't last is because there was no purpose they were just trying to copy and paste the success of girl groups without having literally any purpose and Sarah something you said just a minute ago was that like both boy groups and girl groups were marketed to a young female audience and like as we've talked about with boy bands so much like there is a lot of buying power there but I think it's also that the idea that girl groups could ever be marketed to an American male is literally ne- like literally never going to happen, never crossed anyone's minds because men and even like teenage boys, yeah. the way they're brought up, they're not empathizing with a girl group, like empathizing with women or like looking up to them or being like, oh, she could be my girlfriend. They don't go through that same like emotional discourse that you do as like a teenage fangirl. Like it's not even in the playbook at all. Yeah. And like the thing that I also find interesting And was also sort of mentioned. So uh, Sasha Geffen wrote this article in Fader in June of 2018 called Serious Question, Where Are All the Girl Groups? And so Sasha writes, By watching girls interact with each other while performing hit songs, female millennials could learn to model their own friendships and forge their own personalities in relation to one another. And so not to say that the Spice Girls changed all of our lives, but to say that the Spice Girls changed all of our lives, I feel like the camaraderie that does exist between millennial women, like younger millennial women, is a lot to think because of the Spice Girls and kind of growing up young and being taught that and then realizing as we got older that like the media was trying to brainwash us to think that other girls were our enemies, our competition, when the Spice Girls the whole time were like, they're not don't listen to them all girls are your besties and girls before bros <laughs> and, and it's like this interesting thing because I feel like what you were saying Jenna is like these other girl groups they didn't have discernible personalities it would be like oh there's a redhead there's a blonde and there's a brunette and then there's yeah. one like ethnically ambiguous girl in the back right corner you should just relate to them automatically without knowing yeah. anything about them because we're giving you crumbs and it's like okay just because 
because there might be one member of the group that I look like doesn't mean I'm going to be excited about them in the same way that I was excited about Baby Spice, who I did yeah. not look like, but dressed like every day of my life. Oh, so, <laughs> so it's just it's just those things where it's like when you know someone, you feel more connected to them and you kind of follow their ethos and their lessons and all that sort of thing. And I feel like that should have been the point of girl groups and like initially was and then they were just like let's just bang them out let's just send out one after another and see what happens and nothing happened like what sticks i keep on thinking about the josie and the pussycat movie sarah's favorite movie ever came out around that era right like yeah and just like that whole movie is kind of about that like taking the actual idea of like what this girl group is like this band is and who these identities are and just like making them down into like pitting them against each other and like it's just Josie because she's way more marketable as a single act and she makes way more money as a single act and like how dare women have different personalities and think and maybe like be unhappy with their situations in the world and it just like always as we're talking kind of feels like yeah the comparison is like those other girl groups are just so I don't want to say bland because obviously they are people and had personalities and were real people but like the marketing was bland like I don't remember like opening up a magazine and being like oh let me see what Dream is talking about but like Spice Girls they were marketed well everyone knew who they were like they were everywhere and is just because they were marketed well like they were resonating like play was another crossover like they're swedish i think and yeah swedish musicians are you know so big and producers are so big like it should have been an easy fix but we just know their songs still we don't know anything about the band members like yeah it's a whole marketing thing like how do you market a girl group and it's like we're just gonna try and throw everything at people and hope that it sticks and like that's what works with the spice girls but maybe nobody has any other idea what to do with anybody the other thing that just came to mind is you made like the reference to the josie and the pussycats movie is that all the girl groups that we've seen probably little mix is the one that's been together the longest because like obviously spice girls were a hot flash on the pan but like the cultural impact is insane and they did like a reunion kind of recently but we haven't seen a girl group like grow up together and I think part of that is the idea that when you're young or like when you're younger it's more normal to like have female friends and like especially as a kid like you never even think about it twice and then when you grow up and the world is like women are your competition it's like in what world would we have because like the pussycat dolls were probably like older in age range I'm not like 100 percent sure but just like because of their like sexy marketing I'm assuming that they were like in their early mid-20s but like if you think of the pussycat dolls like were they even selling best friends like I feel like they were just selling sex and like are women in their mid-20s allowed to be friends you know (laughs) yeah well the pussycat dolls is a story we can get into at another time but it was like all of them against Nicole Scherzinger and Nicole Scherzinger being like none of you are allowed to sing even if you can and I will lock you in a bathroom if you try which actually happened like a whole a whole thing um that clearly was like I don't even bad communication stupid record label everything stupid happening at once because that girl group so clearly was selling other girls are my competition and I will tear her down as quickly as possible to get on top if I'm allowed to. And so it's so funny because it was in that weird space where there weren't really any girl groups happening. They were like trying to, like we said, I thought, 
I think a lot of people that I grew up with assumed that they were found at a strip club. I think they were like Tamar side burlesque dancers and like only Nicole could quote unquote sing, but Melody could as well. It's a whole thing. But... It's funny that they were in that era because they were still kind of selling that like, oh, I'm not like other girls mentality and like every girl for themselves, even when they're supposed to be working in unison. And I think that that kind of harkens back to like the idea of like women in the workplace and like women feeling like they have to be like other than the other women in the workplace and how like most of the psychology written around why there's competition between women goes back to like a business standpoint because it's like oh men don't know how to work with women and like when there's like 30% of women in the room men see that as like there's actually more women than them in the room even though it's only 30% of people in the room and these sorts (laughs) of situations where just like men don't understand how to work with women so women feel like they have to act more like men and they like can't have camaraderie with other women and I feel like that keeps correlating back to this girl group thing and like very much to Fifth Harmony and why Fifth Harmony didn't succeed because they just felt like a group of cousins that could all sing and their grandma was like, you're a group now. And they're like, but grandma, if we were not related, we would hate each other. And she's like, I don't fucking care. You're going to make this family money. And then they like went and did it and they all clearly didn't like each other. And it was just like so obvious. And then all their songs made no sense, including Sledgehammer, because if your heart was going like a sledgehammer you'd be dying when they clearly (laughs) met jackhammer because that's what goes fast and is excited (laughs) something they were just saying like not to make everything about k-pop but you're just reminding me that a lot of the most even if they're a very successful k-pop girl group if one member becomes the face of it like not necessarily that like on the business side of things they're pushing her specifically but like Mm -hmm. if there is a personality who is more well known or like she becomes a famous actress or like maybe she has a career before the group and is like well known Mm -hmm. for that the group tends to break up and (laughs) is a really bad situation like even though k-pop kind of has it more streamlined so like each member has more of like a personality and a role kind of like spice girls did so again more individualized more like everyone could be empathic to a different member or something so like groups like four minute which had a member named tiana who was very popular as a soloist and also she was in wonder girl it was like a whole thing like that group never really got out of hiana's shadow and same thing with miss a which was a girl group they had pushed the other members really seriously like there was a, another member named min who i actually just interviewed if anybody wants to read that who was like pushed by the company so so much and then this member Susie kind of just blew up and now she's like the epitome of a singer turned actress who's really well respected in Korea Mm -hmm. and like really beloved but like the group dynamic never worked for any of these girl groups whereas boy bands that tends to help the boy band but for girl groups it's like if the person stands out like kind of like the business mindset takes over where like either the companies or the groups themselves can't figure out how to get out from that umbrella of this one singular member overshadowing everybody else so it's like the pussycat doll syndrome. I definitely understand that though because I think with Spice Girls there was this level of like egalitarian of like everyone was on the same playing field like there was no hierarchy and I feel like that's what you're getting at is like in girl groups specifically when there starts to be a hierarchy that's when like things fall apart and even with like Fifth Harmony I can't talk from like when they were together but like just looking at their solo career since like Camila being the clear like front runner and then of course Normani's building out her career now and then Lauren has also had a solo career but Camila had a lot of like billboard hits radio hits whatnot 
as a solo artist. And so I do think that is like that hierarchy aspect is really interesting. And also thinking of this article that Sasha put together, they write over the past 20 years, girl power has subsided in a favor of a more individualistic pop feminism. The posse has lost its power and female executive has risen in its place. Sheryl Sandberg's lean in philosophy informs mainstream imaginings of a woman in a man's world. Wonder Woman only becomes superhero because she leaves her sapphic utopia to fight alongside men and immensely powerful female singers command historic numbers on the billboard charts if sporadically. And of course this was written a few years ago so I feel like we have a lot more women on the billboard charts now but I just think it's really interesting kind of like tying these two ideas together of like there can only be one woman that comes out on top of like this idea of hierarchy and this idea of competition and modeling yourself in a way that a man will respect it. And I feel like what we're hinting at here with this whole episode is that somehow all of these ideas of feminism and what men respect or don't respect is tied together in why girl groups have or have not been successful in America. Well, even Spice Girls to some degree, like, I mean, Victoria Beckham's probably still the best known name brand beyond like her identity in Spice Girls. So still one still kind of rises to the top, even though like, you know, Ginger was kind of considered like the leader of the group. And I think you feel like you read, but like they were all songwriting. They were involved in the production to some degree, like which most teeny bopper girl groups of our childhood were not. So again, it's like such a different perspective of like, what can a girl group be versus what companies make them to be? Because like, obviously Spice Girls was put together by not the members themselves but like by saying yes you should have some role in creating your identity and creating who you are so the interesting thing that you pointed out here which brings me back to this idea of like a genuine female friendship group which is what the Spice Girls felt like is it's like yes Victoria Beckham Posh Spice is definitely now the most like known household name like still has a lot of relevance in celebrity culture but at the time like you said like Jerry Ginger Spice was like the leader of the pack but differently from No Secrets who had like a clear front woman solo singer even though we didn't know anything about them or the Pussycat Dolls (laughs) with Nicole Scherzinger or whatever it's like the Spice Girls were like evenly dispersed and even though at the time it's like oh Posh is kind of like the hot one dating David Beckham whatever like every friendship group is going to have like that one like fancy friend who's like hotter than everyone else with a really hot boyfriend and the one bossy friend who's like no I am the leader of the pack I don't care how hot you are and so again I feel like that goes to like the relatability of them Mm, and like why there was so much interest in it and why to this day like they still hold so much power even though they literally existed for like no time at all (laughs) is because it felt like a real friendship group and I think that that's similar to like Little Mix's appeal is that like it felt like a real friendship group it's still now even with only three of them left feels like a real friendship group and like their songs are things that you genuinely have like dealt with or gone through or like wish you could have in regards to like their song Black Magic which like obviously magic whatever but it's like those those sorts of situations and again it's just interesting because it also goes back to like what Jenna said just the underlying misogyny of America and like American culture and like how if men don't like something or don't show interest in it like there's always going to be an issue because even with One Direction who were super successful it was like there were always certain men who had high power spaces whether that be in music journalism like Rob Sheffield or in radio like Elvis Duran who were backing them and being like oh we should support this boy band whereas like with 
girl groups, it just always felt like men were only talking about them because of like some sort of sex appeal reason rather than anything else. Whereas like with One Direction, even at the start of the pandemic on TikTok, like all these guys were like rediscovering One Direction because of Harry Styles and being like, wow, they were actually good. And it's like, no fucking shit. Like when has a girl ever been wrong? Never. Um, (laughs) And so it is interesting because I feel like that's what I'm so intrigued by from what you guys have talked to me about, about the K-pop girl groups is that like at some point the K-pop industry was like, oh, we're going to market girl groups to men because boy bands are doing so well with women, girl groups gotta do well with men. And I think that's so interesting. And like, I would love to learn more about this and help our audience learn more about this because I'm just like, guys in America would never go out of their way to buy a Dream album or a No Secrets album or even like a 3LW album. Like they wouldn't really, like obviously I'm talking specifically about like chads of the world, like like very straight heterosexual male gazy kind of men because no matter how sexy the girl groups were, it was more gay men that were interested in the Pussycat Dolls than straight men. And so I just think it's really interesting that straight men were the key marketing demographic at some point for k-pop girl groups at least that's what it seems this episode is brought to you by snapple welcome to the snapple market auditory experience close your eyes imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store you make your way to the back and reach for your favorite snapple flavor you can't wait you take a sip whoa that's a lot of flavor what flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. I do want to emphasize that I'm not sure that's necessarily like it's it's definitely true for some groups, but it's yeah. not like an overall stereotype. Like the most successful K-pop girl groups do have to have a female audience that supports yeah. them because otherwise you don't make money. But before I get to that, I, I like was writing notes to myself as you were talking and like I just like scribbled down. Is America just really scared of a group of girls like doing something and like the idea of the music industry supporting that is like terrifying to people I guess yes. like in the industry <laughs> Literally. and it's just so sad like oh no girls doing something together how dare they <laughs> literally oh, that's no. what it is but yeah the history of k-pop is like really complicated and in general we just kind of talk about mid 90s being like the start of k-pop as we know it and the girl groups that kind of came out of this like groups like SES and Finkel a few others from that generation they were like kind of of a mix between either really intense vocal pop groups kind of think like Destiny's Child SES mm-hmm. I always think of them like that and like girl power but also kind of you know still flirty and like we still love guys and stuff but there was a more ID 
idea of camaraderie, if you don't know anything about K-pop, know this, every single group member pretty much has a role in the group. You have the visual, which means they're probably the hottest Mm -hmm. or like stereotypically hottest. You have the vocal, you have the dancer, you have the rapper, you have the mood maker or whatever. Now they don't really use terms like this, but they used to like for the one who like was just kind of like goofy and like set the tone of like the group and like the leader used to be the oldest one. And now it's kind of just like something that either doesn't exist or like the most responsible one, according to the company. And so girl groups that really kind of took off internationally outside of Korea, where like if you're in Korea and you're Korean, the country's small and they're able to market, you're relatable because you're a Korean girl and Korean girls are invested in you. And Korean guys are like, oh, they're cute and pretty. It's like Britney Spears, like guys maybe didn't want to be here, but they knew who she was. And so girl groups in like the modern era of K-pop as like international audiences are aware of it began kind of around 2008 outside of Asia. So in Mm -hmm. that era, it was like girl groups like Kara, who was big in Japan, were kind of more I wouldn't say that they were like particularly sexy but like they were kind of more targeting male audiences but then you have girl groups at the same time like girls generation which were literally and are still considered like a group that is aspirational like their first song called Into the New World ended up becoming a very popular protest anthem for feminists in Mm -hmm. South Korea or just like just a general protest anthem so like when there was a presidential change and someone got impeached there was like a song that people sang and you had girl groups that were literally made to be like empowering female icons like 21 who debuted in 2009 and you just had a lot of groups that were kind of either you wanted to be them or Mm -hmm. you wanted to be best friends with them and this was kind of what most of them were like and you do have a lot of like cutesy sexy girl groups there was a girl group called after school which was supposed to be like a riff on pussycat dolls these identities weren't necessarily tied into necessarily who they wanted to be attracted to them as much as Mm -hmm. like finding an audience that related to them so you'll definitely go to a girl group concert especially newer girl groups in korea tend to have more male audiences but if you go a few years down the career and they're still active and making money it's probably probably female audiences so Mm. that means like that the initial audience is maybe men who are like in for the like sexiness or for like the cutesiness if that's their thing yeah but the people who stay and prolong the career are the girls so like you literally have songs that are just like yeah of course they're like romance songs but you also have songs that are kind of like showing them as you know quirky girls or the girl next door or just like the whole idea is that like Nowadays, like, K-pop stars tend to be also fashion influencers. And, like, yes, they're fashion influencers, but it's kind of like, oh, I wish I could wear that on Instagram. <laughs> Let me go look at Sheen right now to go see if I could wear that same thing. And I just think, like, the idea that all K-pop girl groups are just selling sex is wrong. And the idea that all K-pop girl groups are targeting female audiences is also wrong. There's a lot yeah. of K-pop girl groups. So there's, like, so much going on out there. And nowadays, you have even girl groups who aren't targeting, like, they are targeting audiences, like, real human people. But, like, you have <laughs> groups like Espa, which is a sort of metaverse inspired yeah. girl group. Essentially, like, they're a girl group that is more like Game of Thrones than anything else ever before. Like, they're a girl group who has a story built into them. Like, they're real people. People know what their personalities are like on camera and, like, through what they show fans, but they also have, like, a storyline that is built around them. So, like, literally in their songs, they're incorporating plot points into their songs. So, like, the audience of K-pop girl groups is just, like, really diverse because I think, I wouldn't say less of a stigma towards girls being in a group together, Mm -hmm. but I think there is sort of. Like, there's obviously, like, the whole K-pop industry to some degree is recognized as being very, very male-dominated 
dominated there are many females in powerful positions of like but most companies are still headed by a guy but there's like some famous female creative directors who you kind of know when they're involved in a girl group because that girl group is like has a little something special going on with them but you can kind of tell when the perspective is from the female perspective more than like the male gazy one but again like right now not to call anybody out but this new girl group called the seraphim which is from the same company as bts they have been kind of accused of being too sexy like their clothes as a baby debut girl group is like Mm -hmm. too sexy and their concept is too sexy and that's not what girl groups should be nowadays girl groups should not be selling sex they should be empowering they should have a Mm -hmm. more equal every girl feel so like you have other girl groups like weekly which is like more school girly and like they wear like fun trendy clothes that like you'd want to wear on the weekend so there's like a lot of differentiation and there's kind of conversations happening around k-pop even in korea about like what is supposed to be selling a girl group like there are many girl groups whose careers have been saved because a fan took a really sexy video of them and went viral this has happened multiple times so this is like something that k-pop kind of always has it's like how do you sell sex without being too sexy because then you get criticized like la seraphim is and now Mm -hmm. like i just saw like today's stage outfits from a performance because they perform like a lot of times when they first release a song and like the comments were literally like they put them in like more angelic looking outfits like (laughs) kind i'm and i'm not sure if it's to counter kind of that accusation that they had initially because like the band doesn't pick their own clothes but it's like concept and marketing and stuff so obviously like how do you be sexy without sexualizing and anybody who wants to be any level of sexy that they want they should be able to do but k-pop is more rigid than that there's so many people deciding on what a girl group wears or even a boy group wears but it's just hard to kind of decide you have to do it within the realms of like what's okay and what is okay now is not maybe what was okay 10 years ago when k-pop girl groups tended to market themselves more directly to guys information like this is really helpful because i feel like a lot of our listeners don't necessarily know what's going on and like even just from what i was reading it was interesting to like hear somebody who like has been listening to this and also writing about this for such a long time because it is so out of my realm of like industry knowledge because looking at graphs and stuff it's interesting how like you were saying like at the start it's kind of like men and then they're like oh women have more buying power which has been something that's been proven in countless countries And so then from your guys' perspectives, has there been a clear change like in an artist's like look or songs or something when they kind of move to more focusing on the buying power of women rather than like the starting off power of the male attraction to girl groups? I think it depends. Like it's Mm -hmm. kind of hard to say because K-pop is very structured in how they look at audiences so like they are aware already like when you market a girl group you already know the audience you need to really get behind after the initial wave of audience support is typically either like female fans or queer fans you need that money you need that support you need that dedication and so you have girl groups who like will debut with like a cutesy concept or maybe like a sexy concept and or versus like a girl next door or empowering one and like when i say concept i literally mean these are like what these bands like if you put it on a 
marketing board what this band is supposed to sound like and look like these will be like the terms that they'll throw up and so you have girl groups like girl generation who i mentioned before who like now they have a song that is essentially like a protest anthem Uh, and the members have various different careers and have done a lot of stuff with their career and are considered a huge huge hit they like started off pretty cutesy but their first song was still very aspirational and then they went kind of cutesy so -hmm. it depends on like the era of a career so like but they've also had stuff where they're like sexier or more dramatic there's not really groups that like are like we're gonna target the guys and then we're gonna switch to the girls like brave (laughs) girls they were releasing pretty sexy stuff like they're produced by a guy they were put together by a guy they were produced by a guy who has made a lot of really hit like dance songs and like sultry dance song he's like known for this sort of music so like they released sexy songs Mm -hmm. and like if a group kind of flops maybe they might try something new so it's not necessarily that like they were targeting guys and now they're targeting girls it might just Mm -hmm. be like because they recognize that audience is there is like they might be desperate and they need to try something new to make money but like there's always some layer of sex being sold or gender being sold like the identity being sold with every girl group from around the world ever and every pop act ever sex sells Mm -hmm. but you have groups like 21 who are a famous k-pop girl group they're from the same company that now has blackpink and like if you compare 21 to blackpink 21 was less like overtly i don't say sexy as much as like flirty like the feminine or like the the members of 21 on the basic level wearing pants one one member she wore dresses and like that was her thing but mm-hmm. like the other ones like there was more pants it was more athletic whereas black pink is more like feminine like they're the, literally the advertising models for like dior and chanel so like the target is like okay first of all who is dior and chanel targeting women obviously But still, like, the audience is, like, these are a little bit more feminine or a little bit more sexy rather than a little bit more girl-powery like 21 was, which is, like, a lot of words for saying they're marketing towards girls, but also, like, Blackpink is a little bit more marketable towards boys. But 21 was also really huge towards everybody, so it didn't really matter how they ended up marketing them because people liked them. So the marketing, I think, is, like, typically, at the end of the day, they might know that they can sell sex for a minute, but they almost always have to change if they want to have longevity. Because, like, the groups that are sexy, mm-hmm. they tend not to really do well in the long run. Like, maybe they do for a bit, but then they end up sinking because there just isn't the audience supporting them, typically. Yeah, I think, like, the main thing that I'm hearing from, like, how you're describing this is that there has to be dynamics, and this is something that K-pop is really good at, of every single comeback. And it depends on the artist. Some artists have, like, three comebacks a year, which means they're putting out a, a single or an album or an EP. That's just what we call a comeback. Not that they were on hiatus and then they're returning. But some artists are very active in their comebacks and will constantly every single comeback is a different concept others if they're not releasing music as often you see it less from them but every time it's a new era and I think relating this to like American like pop solo artists we've talked on this podcast how a lot of pop artists who came about when they were a teenager always had this era and I'm thinking Mm -hmm. specifically Sarah when we talked about Selena Gomez where it feels like they just go like overly sexy they're like I'm a woman now I'm I'm a sexual being now I can talk about being sexy and then they realize like they kind of took it too far and then they like reel it back in for like the rest of their albums but the the quote-unquote concepts is like it's there but it's less distinct because we don't talk about it in the same way like Taylor Swift every single album has a distinct identity but we don't call it like ooh the like gossip concept for like reputation or like some the revenge (laughs) concept like we don't talk about it in that way but that's literally what she's doing in Taylor Swift is in the American standard. Taylor Swift is the best at 
applying concepts. So I think like when we talk about like girl groups and K-pop, all these concepts, when we talk about sexy, there's like cool sexy and then there's like feminine sexy and then there's like male gaze sexy. It's like, it's so nuanced, but there are these like little differences. But also just from like my personal perspective of getting into K-pop, I was immediately drawn towards the boy groups because that's what I've always known growing up. Like I was a huge One Direction fan. And as I said earlier, I never really had like a girl group in my life to like look up to or like to admire mm-hmm. anyway and like I've loved different solo pop girlies like Dua Lipa Ellie Golding. so like there has been that but like when it was like when I was getting into k-pop and part of this is probably the internalized misogyny and why it's less common for American audiences to enjoy girl groups is I just felt like it wasn't for me I was like they're too cutesy or they're too this but a lot of it was just like my projections of what it was or like judgments and not actually understanding a whole lot not understanding that there are like strong women within k-pop because I ended up getting into more girl groups by listening to their music and being like wow I really love their music and then like looking at their music videos and then discovering it that way versus boy groups I get into them because their personalities and then I get into their music and I enjoy their music Mm -hmm. so it's very different but it is interesting that the girl groups thus far that have stood out to me have been like we were talking about earlier Espa or like Stacy, these girl groups that mm. are like either Espa has a very like interesting concept and storyline as you were talking about or like Stacy, where it's like it feels like even just their concept so far that I've seen have like feel more relatable and they feel like I could be friends with them and that type of dynamic that we were talking about previously. Yeah and I mean that's really like intentional. I mean just like how their group is their identity is like kind of empowering and keep on mentioning girls generation because like they're the group that I really resonated with me because I got into k-pop just as they were really hitting it big and then like I was in high school so like high school and college age me really related to them but like when they kind of peaked their biggest hit is this song from 2009 called G and if you just look at the concept of that and then the next few hits so G they were well known like this is like a famous thing they they popularized colorful skinny jeans in Asia like it's because of them we owe colorful skinny jeans to girls generation and then like their next song who was like based on like bond girls they were like wearing 70s glam like outfits and doing archery and like there was a whole bond theme to their music video mm-hmm. and they also had oh which was like a cheerleader video but like this is the group who i mentioned their first song into the new world is now a protest song and that was a song that was aspirational for girl groups so like ng wasn't necessarily like a very sexy thing but then they went to like bond girls and cheerleaders and that was their next stuff and then they still release a lot of other stuff and that their concepts you look at them and you're like they have a whole range of everything mm-hmm. so it doesn't really matter as much as the girl group itself is targeting as long as their concept all kind of aligned so like with g they were the girls next door and then who they were the girls you wished you could be a bond girl like if you were that girl but also that also is way more mainstream friendly because then you also have male audiences kind of built into like oh sexy bond girls and cheerleaders Mm -hmm. but then they go to their another concept run devil run which was like them all being like sleek and black and like killers and you have like another one like I got a boy where they're just like the girls next door and flirty and having a slumber party and they just went everywhere and k-pop groups that's the kind of thing you need a group concept that like resonates throughout but you can also be flexible enough so like g idol their last song was tomboy and like they were very like rockish and like punky but they've previously like their song before that they were like in traditional korean dresses and ball gowns like the flexibility and kind of relatability are two things that I think make K-pop groups kind of resonate with fans, but not 
in America, because the only people who like K-pop groups in America are usually K-pop fans who are already K-pop fans, and then the people who discover Blackpink, but, like, yeah, they do it almost by accident at this point. Yeah. So the, the one thing that you said that I find really interesting, and I feel like, at least to me, makes sense why girl groups as an industry in Korea are, like, successful and why people continuously listen to them, even though there's multiples of them, is that every group kind of has their own distinct personality, even though there are still, like, those tropes that members have to fall into whatever but like it's the same thing similarly to the Spice Girls where like the fans at least know the personality of these artists like they they know who they are their person who their persona is whatever you want to call it sort of situation but also it's like what girl hasn't at some point in time played dress up or done these things where it's like it's relatable to everyone of to every female of every age level because it's like when a girl group has these concepts like you're saying of being the girl next door it's like okay this is me and my friends like I can see that and then when the next thing comes out and they're dressed up in some other way it's like oh I've done that before or like there's new other girls who listen to it and see that like a cheerleader video whatever and be like oh that's me and my friends and then like the other ones are just like whatever else you know and so there's going to be something for people to relate to and again I think that that's what especially the U.S. market was missing out on was like the relatability because the girls always seemed like they were stepping out of some sort of advert or some sort of thing where it's like, that's not me and my friends. Like, this is nothing like what we do and nothing about like what we care about. Because I think also like literally the other night there was a Top of the Pops like girl band retrospective thing on on BBC2 like quite late at night and I was like wow they know what I'm doing research for right now (laughs) and like the girl groups in England most of these performances they were just dressed like normal people they're wearing cargo pants and sometimes a crop top but nothing was overtly sexual all of the dances were pretty copyable like everything felt like oh you and your friends could be doing this one day because they dress like we do they kind of are a little bit awkward like their dancing's not incredibly over the top like Britney and Christina's was or anything like that and I think that that's again like what America was missing out on in these girl group things is absolutely nothing about the girl groups were ever relatable and nothing about them felt like we could hang out with them or we could be one of them one day. Whereas from what you're explaining about K-pop girl groups, it feels like for a female audience, it's always either like, oh, we could hang out with them. If I try hard, maybe I could be in one or just like we like them, like they seem really cool, whatever the case is. And I think that it's interesting because it's like you were saying with Blackpink, like their success in America is interesting because it seems like most people outside of the K-pop fandom who have found them found them either through like the Netflix documentary or through some sort of fashion situation. And I think that their marketability, a lot of, again, from just my perspective as somebody with not a lot of knowledge about this, but like too much pop culture knowledge is the fact that like they can be, that they're being sold to America 
not only as the girl group Blackpink, but also as singular humans who work with certain fashion brands or whatever. And it's like, I know from working in the photo department of multiple media outlets, it's like people will go out of their way to go click through galleries from red carpets or these sort of situations. And if they see somebody who looks like they understand a brand that they really like or whatever, they're going to follow them on Instagram and they're going to start keeping up with what they're doing. And then if they really like them as a person or them as like a fashionista or whatever, they're going to start following other stuff that they do. And so I just think that it's really interesting that it's like from the Blackpink songs that have been played on US radio and the Blackpink songs that have been like pushed in America, it's like they fit in that same sort of realm of like a girl group has to be singing those songs. It wouldn't work in the same way if like a solo artist was singing them. And I feel like that's kind of why there's probably more of an appeal to like them compared to like Fifth Harmony or like an interest where it could be like a gateway into people finding more interest in K-pop girl groups who like might not already be into K-pop because that girl group being a necessity thing is there. And like, I feel like we all kind of (laughs) miss that. There's a difference in Korea, which I think that in the US music market, they don't really know how to handle, which is Mm -hmm. that you need a girl group to sell certain songs rather than a soloist. Like if you gave a song to one person, it's less dramatic and like it's less impactful. Also, to clarify, a lot of K-pop decisions are marketing so like if you have more members that means more people are more likely to like them because like maybe this one likes this one literally a lot of early k-pop debuts either girls or guy group whatever if it's a group the early marketing tends to be trying to get you to remember the members individually so like red velvet a very popular girl group they literally their initial marketing their first music video they each have the tips of their hair dyed a different color and they each have a different color associated with them so many k-pop groups have different colors associated with members or an animal like people will use emojis on twitter and the marketing is important so there's kind of the acknowledgement some stuff are better performed in a group rather than one person mm-hmm. and like you still kind of see the most successful girl groups tend to kind of lean into that identity of the group rather than fifth harmony which was kind of we're gonna put together a group and see how this goes and hope it works <laughs> yeah. whereas like a k-pop girl group like that happens But the ones that are the most successful are ones where it's like the group identity is key. The idea of like the group identity being marketable is something that I think the American market, they see it. They understand it. People like groups of people. Like people don't like the Beatles members when like they're just doing their own thing. Like Paul McCartney is never been as successful as a soloist as he has been a Beatle. People like when groups do well. People love rock bands. People like the group because we as humans are group animals like we are we are a herd humanity but in america we're very individualistic so we don't really know how to market it i think in the way we recognize Mm -hmm. it and that's why we end up occasionally like every once in a while like a music mogul is like we're gonna make a group or something but now they've kind of just because i report on this stuff like a lot of american music companies have kind of like i wouldn't say they've given up on this but they're just like we can just like invest in k-pop groups because they know what they're doing and we don't yeah 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 so something i think that's really interesting a point that you just brought up is the fact that a lot of these k-pop songs are more impactful because they're a girl group whereas sarah's point earlier 
earlier was that a lot of times like Western girl groups were singing songs that just didn't make sense for them. And I think in the context of Blackpink, like they debuted in 2016, but they didn't really make an impact in America until 2018 with their song like Do 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 Do, as well as Kill This Love. And then they also had like How You Like That, which was a huge hit as well. And I just was thinking about, you know, the marketability as well as the impact because with Blackpink, I think the fact that there's four members makes it really easy for America to understand and to latch onto them because there's less personalities to have to decipher. And the fact that Rosie's from New Zealand and Lisa's from Thailand. So you already have two members that have like a different international perspective. They're not all just Korean. And thinking about them like going from literally that 2018 like hit to 2019 Coachella, insane, massive, massive turnaround. And I think to this day, they're the most followed artist on YouTube. They've broken tons and tons and tons of records. But as well, there was an article in the South China Morning Post by Dong Sun Hua in May 2020 comparing girl groups in this like boy group industry, essentially. And they talked about how BTS grossed 136 billion won through ticket sales, while touring data suggested that Blackpink earned 44.2 billion won. So it's like, even though Blackpink has had huge, massive, massive success in America, massive success in general, broken so many streaming records, YouTube records, there's still like a splash in the pond compared to BTS. And I feel like it's not even fair to even compare them to BTS. So actually, I don't really know if that... I happen to work for the South China Morning Post, but I don't think that's actually a good comparison because Blackpink is from a company that's famously not the most proactive when it comes to promoting their artists. So BTS Mm -hmm. is constantly working, but Blackpink has toured one time in the past like decade and a half. (laughs) Like that, Mm -hmm. I mean, they haven't existed that long, but like for every release that BTS does, Blackpink maybe does maybe like one promotional cycle, like of something. Maybe they hang out once. Like I, I wish there was a better way to say this, but like this company called YG Entertainment are kind of famous for having like in comparison to the usual frenzy of k-pop promotional cycle they're way more relaxed and slow to push their artists like either the artist release cycles are slower so like blackpink released like i think in their entire career they've released less than 25 songs which they're so big that's kind of crazy to think about but when you think about that like when they performed at Coachella, like they like only had singles, like they hadn't really released a full album. And like 21, who I mentioned before was also under them. They also released singles and EPs, like their whole career. Like, I think if you counted, even including the Japanese stuff, there's less than like, I think 80 songs. I think that's actually a really high (laughs) estimate actually. Like these groups don't put out a lot of content. Whereas if you look at like a counterpart of like Blackpink's like Red Velvet, maybe Red Velvet has put out so many LPs and so many, many albums and so much more content and there's so much more promotional push. So, I mean, obviously they're not at the same tier of popularity in the US, but like comparing Blackpink to BTS is really hard because the companies, I mean, for a lot of reasons you can compare, but I'm saying for the fiscal records, it's hard to compare because Mm. you can't say Blackpink's touring has made less than BTS because they have not toured as much. I mean, yes, they don't have the capacity. Who knows if they have the audience. They like literally are like, we're going to do maybe one show in New York every decade and one show in LA, maybe every half decade. Like BTS, meanwhile, since the pandemic has had a bunch of shows in LA and a bunch of shows in Vegas. So basically what I'm getting from what you're saying is, is that even though like off touring sales, it seems like Blackpink hasn't made as much money as BTS they kind of have because they don't equal out of how many times like they've actually performed so like it's not a fair comparison 
to say that Blackpink makes less than half of BTS when like they're touring like 0.25% of the time of BTS. Yeah, and that's just generally kind of a K-pop gender thing, which is girl groups tend to not tour as much as boy bands, which like you could say maybe they wouldn't fill the venues. The companies just kind of gave up on that. Maybe they won't fill the halls. Mm -hmm. Maybe the tours will be total loss of money. But nobody ever really kind of tries that. And every once in a while, so sometimes they try and it like is a terrible disaster, but it depends on the group because usually Mm -hmm. people pick the wrong group to send. So like a group like Red Velvet, they're under a company called SM Entertainment and SM Entertainment will tour their boy band who is a few years under Red Velvet's generation at least. But like NCT 127 will tour in arenas in the US, but Red Velvet would probably maybe do theaters. So like the audience might be there, but the companies don't necessarily think that but you have yeah. a group like twice which is another girl group a very popular one they actually just had an arena tour in the u.s and now they're going back to la for two stadium shows so like yeah. it depends on really the group but like if you looked at twice's numbers in comparison to bts's that would probably of like a certain year of touring i think that would probably be more accurate than blackpink's because mm-hmm. blackpink doesn't tour but twice regularly sells out venues so like mm-hmm that's more on par but like kind of comparing Blackpink to BTS doesn't really make any sense for concert sales because they just don't tour as much so like and this is just a girl group problem companies tend to not push girl groups on tours girl groups tend to make the most money in Korea when they're promoting in Korea or they promote in Japan you're not going to send them to the US because when they do they tend to feel like there's no huge audience that is changing Girl groups tended to not tour. If you're a fan in the US of K-pop, you tended to really only see girl groups at K-Cons, which are a big music festival. They put those girl groups at K-Con with a relatively other, like only one lead boy band and then like a few little rookie groups who are like have mm-hmm. moderate audiences, but the girl groups I think are what they're kind of betting on to get the the audience. Like girl groups do draw on audiences, but it's a different sort of audience. Like boy bands have the built-in audience and girl groups kind of have to work a little harder for them. I'm like, honestly, probably not fair to compare any K-pop group to BTS because the numbers are just so insanely different. But this conversation also made me think about Sarah, we were talking about with Little Mix, where it's like it felt like at a certain point they just gave up on promoting Little Mix to an American audience. And it's kind of like it's twofold. It's like, yeah. is the audience there or have they not like tried hard enough or tried in the right way to market it? It's just interesting because it's like, especially right now, I feel like America is trying to like convince us as citizens, whatever, that like girl power's back and like, ooh, we're supporting women now. We're in a post Me Too era. Time to support the girlies. But we're not like, and especially not girls working together because again it's like if they prove to us that women working together can be strong and not be catfighting and having issues we will team up and take down the government or whatever nonsense they're trying to like secretly sell in propaganda you know but because I just feel like in even still in media like you still always see the trope of like girl against girl and girls having issues with each other and we're still getting articles like they don't use the term catfight anymore but we're still seeing articles of people having feuds with each other in pop music and all this stupid stuff when, like, it's always a non-issue, really. 
when it comes down to it. And so it's like America is still seemingly trying to push the girls can't be friends, girls are always competition with each other narrative. And I feel like if any of these girl groups came over and were showing like camaraderie and female friendship and how that's actually really great and really nice and lovely, America would implode. And they'd just be like, no, 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 no. They'd like men in black erase our memories from ever seeing that happen. But I do think it's amazing for the fact that, and like, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is like a really bad misogyny problem in South Korea, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes, there is a sizable gender inequality. It's huge in South Korea. It's a big issue. Just Google it. Like any, anybody listening, like to talk about it would be like 7,000 episodes of a podcast. It's really bad just in general. Yeah. It's just one of those important things to like acknowledge that we are aware that there is a very big misogyny issue in South Korea. So I do think it's interesting that there are so many successful girl groups when like there is that. Because like the thing that we always come back to in multiple episodes of our podcast is like America really tries to like hide its deep rooted like evangelical Christian hating women-ness of itself. Whereas like other countries are like less hiding. It's like more obvious like how much people I mean right now obviously that's changed because of the whole Roe v. Wade thing and so now it's like oh no America with its full chest is like fuck women but it's just interesting that like South Korea is putting out so many girl groups and America's like no we don't want female camaraderie female camaraderie is bad I mean I think the industry makes that quite clear in many ways but I think also something about like Korea that people will talk about you can say it's true or not depending on your feelings about it but like people are always like oh people are more communal in Asian countries than like western mm-hmm. independence so like you could pretend that that's like the reason for groups I just think people think they're much easier to market because you have more audience members yeah. likely to like five people than one person but I kind of just want to go back to how K-pop girl groups are being marketed in the US now because ESPA is really interesting because they just performed at Coachella the weekend after 21 made a reunion at Coachella 21 used to be at the company Blackpink's under YG and they kind of were disbanded without any their career was amazing it was wonderful one thing happened and everything just imploded and the company Mm -hmm. was just like maybe we'll let them come back eventually and then they didn't so it was like big 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 fireworks a rainstorm and then like we're never gonna light those fireworks ever ever again and we're not even gonna tell you we're not lighting them again we're just gonna like let it die no fireworks ever ever again but then they reunited at cella during one of member seals set where she was performing herself during the 88 rising set and like it didn't matter that they had been put together by a company in korea that was founded by a guy who people tend to have issues with he's currently in court for a bunch of things so like not allegedly the best human being but like it was just like a huge girl power movement because these four women who were put together in a girl group by a male-led company that has historically really weirdly treated their girl groups much and female soloists like terribly in comparison to the guys like the guys will release like six albums and the girls will release one their entire career and so like they kind of came together and that was a huge deal for k-pop fans and anyone who ever loved 21 and then the next week espa performed espa is a new group they're managed by their like sm entertainment the company that put together but espa's like a rookie they're like a new rising girl group and this was 21 so the the like the dichotomy between the two of this girl group deciding to come together to like do a big moment kind of like a Spice Girls reunion on their own terms versus Espa who like are this fantasy sci-fi girl group we don't really know so much about yet except they have a bunch of hits but they also like if you look at their stage outfits they kind of 
like one of them she happens to be my personal favorite member Ning Ning she was wearing a really cute dress that like said Queen Bee on it and I thought it was so interesting because like yes you could say it was like a whole statement for Espa trying to like we're gonna be the new Queen Bee on the scene but also it was like they put it on one member like they didn't like have it spread across so it was still like kind of her identity within mm-hmm. the group but it was just so interesting to me it was like you have this one moment of like a reunion and then you have this other one where they're like trying to make them happen so it was just like a really interesting parallel of a girl group that was huge 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 under a male guidance and then they fell apart under that and now they're back together whatever that means even just for like one performance and then you have like a new girl group who like if you look at Espa like they are very, very typically gorgeous girls. Like, they're pretty from, like, all perspectives, male perspective, female perspective. Like, it's not like they're not sexy on stage. It's not like their dances aren't at all mm-hmm. sexual. It's not like they're, like, Mormons or, like, nuns. Like, they're sexy girl group. Like, 21 was more outrightly, like, we're empowered! And mm-hmm. Espa's a little bit more, like, we're, like, that cool VR girl group who, like, isn't a final fantasy video but we're also real people and like a lot of the promotions that k-pop companies do it's either like too far in one direction or not enough so like blackpink maybe the company's whole thing is just sell the fashion and the icons rather than the music and like that is their marketing campaign but like other companies don't really seem to have that sort of approach to marketability it's kind of like we'll put them at coachella and now they're big rather than we'll put them at coachella and introduce them to new artists and maybe they'll collaborate and maybe they'll be big like there's no real guy groups people nowadays kind of seem to know how to market them to new audiences in the US they'll like do a collaboration with some artists who are under the same record label that they have a deal with in the US and the girl groups they kind of just don't really know what the audience is so getting it back to like the whole conversation like even K-pop girl groups who maybe have a more built-in audience either just K-pop fans or people who are starting to listen to K-pop more and maybe like if you're listening to Spotify BTS like now you'll see La Seraphim because they're under the same company so there is a sort of burgeoning built-in audience but I just don't think they have any idea and I think in general K-pop doesn't know how to get from like the audience that's already there to the audience that's like gonna listen to you on the radio every day blackpink did that like the push has to come from the industry i think at this point because nobody knows how to market girl groups and it's not that people don't want them it's people don't know how to market them and probably they're scared to based on past experience of it not going well yeah and also obviously women in public spaces are going to be sexualized by creeps of the internet yeah and like you now have to be responsible for that like it's everywhere like (laughs) there is some sense that like If you put out a girl group, you have to be ready to know that you're putting these girls in a place where they are going to be sexualized for the rest of their lives for, like, any moment that they're going to be on stage. And, like, I don't think the average girl group recognizes that. And in Korea, that's not something they're grappling with. And, like, as a consumer, it's not something... I think the average consumer is not sitting there like, oh god, this girl is so sexy, I want to, like, say everything gross about yeah. her ever. But, like, I think, like, as the, the industry kind of has to, like, acknowledges that. So, like, if you put out a girl group, it's just, like, kind of par for the course. Like, if I've asked companies, like, point blank, like, hey, what do you think about the fact that if you look at most deep fakes of Asian women on the internet, they're K-pop singers? So yeah. I think it's like 98% of deep fakes of Asian women on the internet are K-pop stars. So that means that 98% of fake porn that uses yeah. the face of a woman who's not real is a K-pop singer. And like I've asked company heads and they're just like, yeah, we don't really know what to do about that. We can't really do anything about that because people are gross. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get that. But like, does that make it okay? Like, shouldn't yeah. you be hunting these people down? And like, that's a yeah. whole government thing in it, Korea. But like, if you're creating a girl group and you're putting them into the US, they're going to be open to racism. Like right now, especially, I don't really see any company 
pushing a k-pop group in the u.s right now partially because of grounds of safety like asian hate is really big in the u.s right now and just like again a totally different conversation but i just think like why risk it why bother you have the built-in audience the audience of course in korea is small it's relatively small the u.s market is the biggest market in the world so you want the international audience but like touring is expensive promoting is expensive making deals with companies is expensive convincing people that a girl group will take off when no girl group has ever really taken off in the u.s like how long there's no real rhyme or reason that doesn't mean that nobody should try but i think that like it's still a business at the end of the day and k-pop companies are like gonna try and like you see huge responses to girl groups when they do tour when they're this right size girl group or like when they are a popular girl group or when they like headline at k-con like red velvet at k-con was a huge thing but then like they had relatively small theaters for their tours because people just kind of assume that they won't sell out an arena and things maybe have changed like k-pop groups couldn't sell out arenas 10 years years ago anyway like there is gradual growth but i don't know i don't think anyone knows what they're doing honestly i think they're all just kind of throwing darts at boards and being like maybe coachella will make espa grow up or maybe thanksgiving day parade will make espa blow up or just maybe something like people don't know or like maybe we throw stacy at kcon premiere maybe some journalist is there from the new york times and they'll cover them or something like i don't think anyone really knows what to do blackpink they market them as fashion icons not necessarily influencers not necessarily singers like Jenny was at Coachella this year. That would have been cool if she had done like a collaboration with someone or showed up on stage with somebody, but they didn't do that. Or like, why not send any of the Blackpink girls to Met Gala? Like they're representatives of the brands. It doesn't make any sense. Nobody knows what to do. Yeah. I don't know what I to just, do. Like, it just sounds like there's so many layers and so much confusion and that there's always been confusion specifically in the U.S. market about girl groups and how to market them and how to make them explode, no matter if they're from South Korea or England or even from America. And it seems like unless it was the Spice Girls, like other than like the Motown groups of like the 60s and that sort of era, female girl groups just haven't been able to stick here, no matter what they're throwing at the wall like everything seems to fall down eventually and like all the points you're making are really good points because again like we do have a very big issue with jenna's least favorite word fetishization of asian women in america with how men treat them and all those things so there's just like so many there's so many layers and i feel like so many questions that are just never going to be answered because America's always going to be America and it's always going to be misogynistic and racist and disgusting about everything and just like your knowledge on this K-pop industry uh, specifically girl groups has been so informative and helpful and like so interesting especially just because like like the girl group industry in itself is just like a worldwide phenomenon that's like never a hundred percent been as big as it could have or should have been it's just like something that i think is going to be discussed and like confusing people for the rest of time is what it seems like i mean to be fair boy bands also could be bigger but again like people hate boy bands and girl groups and just pop music but yeah i mean we could talk about like just girl groups in the u.s i just think like female-led rock bands are hard enough to sell and america loves rock bands and like the idea of pushing a pop group pop divas we can do pop groups no male female we don't do it we don't really know how to do it unless it's like maybe a disney channel group but like everything is hard sell and like you have to like justin bieber you know pretty boy teen and now he like has to go in a totally other direction musically to try to like stay not necessarily stay active but kind of prove his worth as a singer 
And, like, same thing with, like, the One Direction guys. I just think, like, America really hates pop except divas on their terms. And, like, that's, like, a thing in general that we have to kind of acknowledge. But I think K-pop girl groups have multitudes and layers to them. And, like, does every person who listens to K-pop support everything that happens in the industry? No way. Like, I write about it for a living. And there's so many things that are wrong with every entertainment industry. It's not just Korea thing. It's, like, everything ever that we put on the internet has an issue with it. (laughs) Like, the world has issues with it. Surprise. And I just think girl groups, I would love if they could promote in the U.S. more. But I think between, like, Korean companies not thinking it's worth the investment to some degree and them not resonating with audiences to some degree and then, like, the entertainment industry in the u.s really hating pop i mean i just think like boy bands again kind of in some way they're seen as a little bit more just better than girl groups to many people who make these decisions like they're more authentic and in korea you kind of see that where like boy bands tend to have members who write their own music or produce but girl groups they tend to not have Mm. that whether it's because the company wants to make more control or they don't give them that same sort of bandwidth but now that's kind of changing is kind of people are recognizing that's a little bit more marketable and also a reduced cost if the member themselves write the songs like you don't have to pay a songwriter (laughs) I could, like, rant for hours about the disparity between girl groups and K-pop and boy bands, but that's another thing. If you look at interviews with girl groups, they're way more controlled because, and this is partially because of the situation and things in Korea, if a female says something in entertainment that's wrong, it tends to ruin their career. But male entertainers, their fans kind of maybe support them enough that they can come back. So, like, you have a bunch of instances of female k-pop singers saying something wrong about political history or like history of korea and it like ruins their career for a while if not forever so like not that everything leads back to girls generation but like one of the members, Tiffany, she is a Korean American. And when they were in Japan, she posted like a Snapchat filter that was the Rising Sun logo of Japan, which was used during World War II and during colonization. So like people in Korea do not like that. But like, it's also a pretty Instagram filter of like a sun, like with shiny rays. And she happened to post it on like Korean Independence Day. There is probably no way that she even thought of this for like two seconds making a political statement. But it, like, ruined her career for a long time. And only now, after, like, a while back in the U.S. doing her own thing, has she been able to go back to Korea to, like, make her... Like, she's, like, done penance by, like, stepping out of the spotlight. And, like... But, like, if it happens to a guy, it's there's a huge double standard. So K-pop girl groups, when you do interviews with them, it's not that they're not saying anything and they're not, like, being engaging, but, like, there's a sense of so much more caution by what they're saying. Mm. And, like, when I do interviews with, like, a rookie girl group, there's so many more, not necessarily more minders, because everyone in every entertainment field nowadays has tons of PR people. And But, like, girl groups, like, you just feel like there's a little bit more restraint. And I'm not saying, like, personally there's more restraint, but, like, from a PR perspective, yeah. there's more, like, stick to the guidelines, stick to the phrasing we have. And, like, if you say the wrong thing, potentially it could ruin your career or hang over you forever in this industry. And, like, that's everywhere, but it's, like, a little bit more intense and a little bit more distinct in Korea I think like there is a double standard for a girl group and a boy band in Korea and like when you consider that to come to the US you know like K-pop girl groups that are cutesy probably wouldn't sell very well so if they decided to come to the US the assumption is they'd have to like be sexy they'd have to sexualize themselves Mm -hmm. more like audiences in Korea would get pissed about that like how dare you like sell off our girls to the US I'm not saying I support this I'm just saying like this is like a conversation I could imagine happening. And it's like, you have no idea what these girls want. You have no idea what these girls are saying. And like meeting rooms, you have no idea if they want 
any of this. You have no idea if they want all of it. There's just such a huge double standard from the Korea side of things and from the U.S. industry and the audience. Like, I just think it's at a certain point, people want it and people keep on trying for it. And it works for some people like Twice, who has a huge built-in audience already can tour and do stadium shows. The biggest takeaway from this conversation for me personally is that all of the misogyny we talk about in America and in American pop music, you can just copy and paste this entire podcast onto any music industry out there because guess what? The entire world is pretty much built on the patriarchy, folks. (laughs) But I think bringing it full circle, it, it was really enlightening to, you know, talk specifically about kind of like Western fans and the Western audience and why boy groups over the years have been so massively popular while girl groups have seen you know a percentage of that success in comparison and just understanding that even that misogyny and that sexism and that internalized misogyny seeps down to the fan level too so tomorrow i know we could talk for nine more hours on this subject and we want to thank you so much for joining us and thank you so much for sharing all of your expertise with us and for any of our listeners who want to go learn more want to read more of tomorrow's amazing work we will have all of the links and links to social profiles as well in the description below so yes tomorrow i want to give you a big thank you for joining us thanks for having me and thanks for letting me talk about something i feel very passionate about for a really long time so sarah what did you learn today (laughs) i learned so much and i'm so thankful for tamar and her knowledge and like her being able to make things make sense for like the first time Every time with K-pop, I'm like, I'm confused. But also, it's just, like, it's nice when, like, I make my dumb general statements and she, like, very kindly was like, actually, this is how it actually works. I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. Thank you for not just, like, shaming me for, like, not 100% understanding this. So that was nice. But it's just so interesting how there's so many parallels between especially, like, the misogyny and, like, these different things, like, between the U.S. and South Korea in regards to, like, what we comment on and yet what, like, America tries to hide from being factual about, like, how... America acts towards women and girl groups and all of that stuff. And just like, I don't know, like what these girls go through in order to make music and like have fun and like not have to work an office job is just like so, so upsetting. And yeah, I mean, I just want America to get more behind girl groups and like be less stupid about it because I'm like, just fucking like pop music. What's wrong with everybody? I feel like the people who, well, I mean, K-pop is ever expanding its audience but I feel like the people who genuinely like love and support girl groups and boy groups like have found k-pop and like are like well the American market's never gonna do it for me so I might as well get into k-pop yeah true true I guess it's just that thing still where like we kind of talked about with Brian in our billboard episode of just like America not really wanting to get behind things that they don't understand yeah and how like the billboard charts are always you know, gonna rule all. Because it's the same thing with, like, a lot of the articles that we had pulled about girl groups, and they're like, oh, like, Little Mix never charted above this, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, why does that matter when they're so good and, like, so successful somewhere else? Like, you just have to give people a chance. I don't know. It's just frustrating. So many layers. So for y'all, our lovely listeners, what are your thoughts? Do you want us to look more into the girl group era of things of like the late 90s, early 2000s? I feel like at least personally, I think it'd be interesting to talk to 
a British person about like why England's so obsessed with girl groups because I feel like that would be a really interesting conversation. So let us know if you'd be interested in that. You can hit us up on social media. We are at Name Three Songs on all platforms. Or if you have any personal beef or grievances or love letters you want to send us, I'm at Sarah underscore Fagan and Jenna is at Jenna underscore Million. So thanks for joining us this week on Name Three Songs. And until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And remember, you're never too cool to listen to a girl group. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really help. If you want to find out about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit name3songs.com. 